Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we're following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to American Muslim Project. I'm Asad Butt. American Muslim Project is a podcast where we share the contributions Muslims are making to American life. In each episode, we elevate unique Muslim voices that are shaping this American experience. Hello, and welcome to American Muslim Project. I'm Asad Butt. My guest today is Maureen Butt, who is an elected official in Wakefield, Massachusetts, a town just north of Boston. In 2017, she made history as the first Muslim woman to be elected to a local town or city board in Massachusetts, and just the third Muslim elected official in the state. In 2020, she was actually reelected to a second three-year term. Full disclosure, I've known Maureen my entire life. She's actually my older sister, and I'm really excited that she's on American Muslim Project. Um, this is weird, right? This is a little weird, <laughs> but thank you for having me. <laughs> I know, but it's fun. I mean, you've done a lot in your career, so I'm excited to talk to you about, about this. Um, my first question to you is, do you have you know, a uniquely Mo- American Muslim experience that you want to share? So uniquely American Muslim experience, I think I ran for office and there's not a lot of Muslim Americans who in America run for office. Um, You know, it just was two years ago where we got our first two women elected to Congress. And before that, we had two men. We had um, Keith Ellison and Andre Carson. So now there's three American Muslims in Congress. But on a local level, there wasn't really a lot of representation um, outside of kind of California, you know, places in Detroit, places in New Jersey. Um, And so I ran for office and didn't know I was making history until um, the Boston Globe decided to do a story about it a few months after I won. Um, So yeah, I guess running for office as a, you know, Muslim woman in 2017, 2016 and 2017, which I'm sure we will talk about that I ran for office and lost the first time and then um, ran again in 2017. So I guess that's my uniquely American Muslim experience. Yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty unique for sure. Well, why did you decide to run for office? So I first ran in 2016. I just moved to my town in Wakefield about three years previously. And I'd gotten involved in town and I wanted to do more because I do think public service, it, you know, I kind of live by a couple of truths. One, like government is good <laughs> Two, public service is a way to give back. And three, like my job, like my faith, my religion, my upbringing is to be a voice for people that don't have a voice in whatever I do. I will, as our father reminds us, like I will never be wealthy and that's okay. <laughs> 
because I, um, I get to have, because we have Nadia, because we have our sister who will support us. Um, but I get to, you know, I get to work on issues of increasing the minimum wage and creating health insurance and working on immigrant right issues. I get to do that as my paid gig and then uh, work on making my town better at night. So I, I kind of wanted to run on a local level because I do think local representation, A, we need more, we need more diverse voices in all forms of government and um, particularly in local government because town that the select board did not look like the town that I was seeing. So I think I ran to be just to get more of a diverse voice, but I really thought that I could offer something and be willing to help out in a way that, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough to get people to run for office. It's tough to get women to run. And so I thought I'd try it and see if I liked it. And, you know, surprisingly, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. It's a three-year term. And so I won my first race in 2017. And I just had re-election in 2020. I, so guess the average age that a, that a woman runs for office in America. 40 45? and guess 40 oh, okay. guess the average men's age oh yeah <laughs> I, I would guess 25 23 23 wow. <laughs> and guess how many times and this is all studies from uh suffolk and Rutgers have kind of studied this and guess the number of times that you have to ask the woman to run before she does oh, it wow. five seven seven and wow. guess the number that you have to ask the men one one. Yeah, I would imagine that it's and I, pretty low. And I found it true, right? And this goes into there's just we're only 25% of elected and like there's still a lot that people are still being the first. But, you know, women tend to want to be, you know, settled and married and pay off their loans and and we tend to move around a lot more. And so we're not the traditional candidate who, who grew up in their town, especially at a local level. Um, so right now in America... Uh, women make up about 51% of the population, but we're only 25% of elected officials. And of that 25%, only 7% are women of color. And so because I had my first job in Massachusetts was working at the state house, and at that time, and it was 15 years ago, actually, it was 2005, um, there were no South Asians elected, there were no Muslim Americans elected. And so I always thought in the back of my head that I'd maybe go back there and and run and and be a state rep um and and kind of diversify the building a little bit i don't know if i've even like told told you this Asad, but like so when i decided to run i kind of spent the weekend thinking about if i would run and all my friends were texting me and i knew like it would be difficult to run and i i drove to our parents house who live you know eight miles away from us and um dad was out in the garden and mom was sitting at the table and i go inside and i tell mom i go i think i'm gonna run for office and i started crying and mom was like, why are you crying? Like, don't cry in front of your dad. And it was kind of that emotional thing that I knew I was going to do it regardless of whether they wanted me to do it or not. And um, and I remember just like, so dad walks in and I was like, so I think I'm going to run for office. And he was like, why? And I was like, because I just feel like I need to and I need to like, it's a way to help people and I can keep on trying to help people. And dad goes, so what does it pay? And I was like, well, it's a volunteer unpaid job. And he said, I don't know why you keep on doing these things. And I was like, okay. And I remember driving home and just being like, 
you know, I just needed him to say like, this is great, go for it. And, and, you know, being kids of immigrants, like we rarely get that sort of support. And it's taken a lot of years to realize it's because, you know, they don't want us to get hurt. And this is not something they know, like, you know, our parents did not run for office, they, they have the American um, they live the American dream of working really hard and making sure your kids are safe and providing for them and kind of, you know, assimilating in a good way of not causing trouble. And why would you put yourself out there and have people, you know, look into your history and mock you? Um, but I remember dad called me the next day and he's like, so Mary and I Googled a lot of people and, and do you know, do you know a lot of lawyers actually run for office? And I was like, yeah. And, and dad was very, always reminded me that like Obama ran for office like seven times before he won his first, you know, his first election as did Abe Lincoln. And so dad is always the one to remind me of that. I've been a nonprofit person all my life, but I do think that government has a place of being able to to help people. And if you really, if you live, if you have that calling to help people, this is the best way to do it. You, you talk about how representation has quadrupled in the last couple of years. Why is that representation important at the local level? Yeah, so that was that's a really great question and something that I got asked all the time um, when I was running. And you know, I talked about I think I think for most individuals, they understand why you vote on a presidential level. They understand why you vote on a congressional level. They understand why you vote for mayor. People have a hard time understanding why to vote for local electeds. And I really had to explain that to a lot of people when I ran the first time. And what's really interesting about my story is that the first time I ran was July of 2016. So if you think back to 2016, um, you know, me being a, a Democratic woman was really thinking that Hillary Clinton was going to win and she was going to be our next president and we were going to shatter that glass ceiling. And then when I reran, it was actually April of 2017. So it was after he had been um, inaugurated and, and was leading. And the first thing that he did was talking about the Muslim ban. And so what I used to say in April when I was campaigning and meeting people and trying to get them to go out and vote was, you know, we can't, we as an individual, I can't change a lot of what's going on on the national level. So I can't protect the parks in Utah. I can't um, stop the Muslim ban. But what I can do is on a local level, make sure that my town remains welcoming and becomes um, a welcoming place and a safe place. I can actually talk to my police department and see if they'll have implicit bias training. I can um, work on getting a pride flag to stand in front of our town center for the month of June. I can dedicate funds to protecting our lake. And so I think there, I, you know, there's a lot of misconception that on the local level, um, it's really about potholes and the schools. And that's true. It's I get a lot of emails about stop signs and speeding violations. But I also get to work on bigger society issues that are really important to me. You know, I really, I truly believe budgets are moral documents. And whether you're dealing with 
you know, a state budget or a congressional budget or in my town and we decide, you know, get, how, creating an emergency fund or what our tax money is going to go to, you know, creating a human rights commission in our town. What impacts you the most is really the community you live in. And so um, there's a lot of education still to be done. I think people kind of think like schools and roads, but I, I really had fun talking to people and explaining all the other stuff that we do in town that really impacts them day to day. But what, I guess my want to follow up on that. Why is it important that there are people like you and other Muslims and women that are in the room where it happens to quote Hamilton? Yeah. So, you know, I, I spoke that I'm, I'm a policy person by nature, right? I went to law school. I'm a lobbyist. I write laws. I kind of have a history of working on writing laws and making the world better. And the way that I find to do that is to have a seat at the table and to be the voice for people that don't have a seat at the table. And the best policy, whether you're working with government or not, you're working in an organization, if I'm sitting on a board, the strongest policy actually comes from having diverse viewpoints. And you do not come up with strong policy if everyone has the same lived experiences. And just by my lived experience of growing up Muslim, growing up the kid of immigrants, um, being a single person who doesn't have kids in the in the school system, but chose to live in my community, I have a very different lived experience, not better, not worse, just different than the other selectmen. And when I actually, I think about that all the time, even at, you know, my, my paid job, that the best work we do is when you have those different viewpoints, all trying to achieve the common good. And if my common good is to represent people in my community, then my lived experience and having a different lived experience um, is really important. I We always joke about there is that picture a couple of years ago of, uh, of the Congress team working on like health reform and women's reproductive health. And it was all white men. And I was like, you are not going to get good policy when everyone has the same story. So if everyone is a straight white male living in the suburbs with their 2.5 kids, like you are not going to represent America and you are not going to come up with the best policy. The other one of the big things that we did early on was we changed the name of our board. So when I ran, I ran to be a member of the select, um, be a selectman, which is an old New England term for what you call town officials. It's used in New England and nobody really knew what a selectman was. And so we actually, we had to change our town charter. We have a town charter that called us selectman. And so we did a whole campaign that was a townwide vote to change it to the gender neutral town council. So I'm the only town councilor. Wakefield is the only town council in Massachusetts. Most other towns went with select board. So they're select board members as opposed to select men. And why was that important to you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It wasn't so important to me. I did not run about it. Um, When I ran, the three issues I really talked about was just keeping um, our town welcoming and inclusive and protecting our lake and our other resources and really focusing on economic development 
um, at our businesses, helping our businesses community thrive. I never talked about changing the gender neutral name. It actually was an idea that our town administrator came up with. Um, and he jokes that he has three sisters and a strong mom. And and he kind of saw that it was the wave of a lot of towns were shifting to a gender neutral name. And so he proposed it at a June meeting, um, my first year at a June meeting. And I got a lot of I got a lot of flack. People thought it was my uh, feminist agenda um, that I was, you know, I was called a lot of names on the community Facebook group. But it really was never my idea. And what what I really liked about my town administrator is that he would go on to the media and say, you know, um, at the time there were two women on the council. He said, you know, Maureen and Anne we're going to run regardless of what we call it. This isn't about them. This is really for the six-year-old who's sitting at home and thinks she can't run for it because she's a woman or the young boy who only thinks it's for men only. You know, I it wasn't my priority, but then once we got set in motion, um, we had to take a vote on our town council and then we had to take a vote at town meeting and then went, went on the ballot. So it was actually a 17 month process. So it was a campaign. And, you know, this is what I do for a living. I run campaigns. Um, and so we did a whole campaign. We came up with a logo. We had T-shirts. You know, we kind of explained to everyone and it overwhelmingly passed. Um, and it was the right thing to do. I think gender, I think words do matter. And I think for young people, um, knowing that, you know, it's not a word that's only for for men. Um, I think it's important as we kind of, again, try to be more welcoming and inclusive for everyone. More with my conversation with Maureen Butt up after the break. This is American Muslim Project. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Welcome back to American Muslim Project. You're listening to my conversation with my sister, Maureen, who was the first Muslim woman to be elected uh, to a local town or city board in Massachusetts. She talked about what it was like to run as a Muslim. I will say that the hardest part about running um, and then rerunning and being an elected is that people just have preconceived notions of you and they just see you as a threat just because you're different. The example that I gave about changing the name of our board to a gender neutral name. People were convinced it was my agenda, that I'm gonna raise taxes, um, that you know, I think I was accused of bringing Sharia law to Massachusetts and to Wakefield. And it's people who have never spoken to me, um, but the threat is there. 
And, you know, change is really hard for people. I don't think I realized that till I got into government that people are resistant to change and change is hard. And just by me being an elected and having, you know, a single Muslim South Asian woman who, you know, owns her own home and owns her car and has a law degree and, you know, knows knows what she's doing is a threat to people. And I also truly believe that when people meet me, they like me and they realize that my values are really aligned with their values. You took part in this program called Emerge that trains Democratic women to run for public office. Tell me about that and how important that was for your your first and, and second runs for office. Yeah, so I love Emerge. So it's a national program. It's about 12 years old. I think it's been in Massachusetts. It's it's in about 30 states. Um, we have a lot of famous alumni now at the at the um, London Breeze, the mayor of San Francisco is an alumni. Um, Ayanna Presley, who's a congresswoman from Massachusetts, was one of the founding members of it. Um, and so I, it's a six month six-month program, one weekend a month, where they really teach you the nuts and bolts of running. So the 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 one thing that I say when I have new friends who win elections is I was like, there's no handbook on how to be a town counselor. Nobody, there's nothing to read. Um, you really have to depend on, you know, the kindness of, of finding a network and, um, you know, finding mentors, finding people who will tell you what to do, um, and having sounding boards. Emerge gave me 24 friends and a network of people. And so I had someone who designed my website for free. I had someone who um, knew how to debate prep me because it's what she did. Um, I had someone who, you know, was able to tell me how to knock on doors and and do all of this stuff that, you know, the one thing about running for local level is that because it's an unpaid job, you can't really pay volunteers. Um, you don't really have paid staff. And so you really have to do it all by yourself. And so I was really lucky to learn the skill sets and and something that women don't do as well is learning how to talk about yourself and, and you know, learning to how to talk about myself and present myself and not do it for somebody else. Um, and so I met great friends through Emerge. I had some friends who had already run for office that were already elected. And they're still, they're still my last call um, at the end of the night. And they're my first text in the morning. When I have a problem, they're usually the ones who can get me through it when we're going through something in town. It's a great program. I encourage everyone to apply. Massachusetts is actually just hiring for their next class. And I just did two letters of recommendation um, for two friends who I think uh, would be great assets. So I, you know, we talk about that it takes seven ass for women to run for office. So I always, whenever I see anyone, I make that ask. It is a hard thing to do. It is not for everyone. But I, my job is not only to have that sit at the table, but it's to get other people at the table because it is easier when there are more of us. Sounds like a great program. Who, who do you look up to? Who, who should we be paying attention to on Twitter or on social media or, you know, just in, in the news? What, who who do you look up to? And, and so I think the squad are just amazing. I think 
all of them winning in 2018 and showing what true leadership and true advocacy and representation means. Um, Ayanna Presley, I've known her for years. So my first interaction with Ayanna Presley was I worked at a woman's shelter downtown. Um, it was the oldest woman's shelter in the country. And I was the director of government affairs. And we had had these calls that the city-run women's shelter was having some problems, like guests were complaining that there were some problems. And so I called Ayana's office and I was like, you might just want to check it out. And that like the next, like immediately, couple of days, Ayana shows up in her three-inch heels wanting to go check out and talk to the guests to see what the problem was. This was when she was city councilor? When she was a Boston city councilor. And because uh, it was Boston, it was her district. And I remember walking the streets of Boston with her in her giant heels. And it was five o'clock. It was after work hours. But she was going to figure out what was wrong. And that's, you know, she she I was fortunate to call her a friend. I'm fortunate to knock on doors for her. Um, the first time she ran and she is, she is a sister and she is um, a true, you know, she, I say she's who I want to be when I grow up, although she's not that much older than me, but she, I think the entire squad we should be following. Cause I just think they're so strategic and they are changing the game of representation. So I follow all of them religiously. There's two organizations that are Muslim related that I I like to follow. So one is Engage. So I think part of what I do on a local level is is explain why local government is important to people and part of that is voter um voter turnout and voter education. It's something I've worked on for 10 years. So I um ha- I do voter uh registration drives outside of um naturalization programs when people become citizens. I've done that for years. And I really believe in just, you know, using whatever platform I have to get people, especially Muslims to vote. And so Mgage is a civic nonprofit that gets Muslims more involved. And they actually had a goal to get 1 million Muslims to vote in 2020. And they did it. And, you know, we will we will be looking at the data for years to come, but I think really in Detroit and Philadelphia, the Muslim vote, um, you know, and a lot of uh, Black Muslims is really what switched um, a lot of those cities. And I think when we look at Atlanta and we look at the Muslim vote there, you know, we are we are not a small population anymore. We can make change. I mean, I'll have to look, but like we we have family in Arizona that are Muslim. And I think you have these populations of of Muslims that if you have voter turnout, whether it be, you know, the young Arabs in in Detroit or the black Muslims in Philadelphia or the South Asian Muslims in Atlanta, I think we could really we we will be a force to be reckoned with in the future. Um, and then the other group that I adore um, is Muslim Advocates. So they're basically like a civil rights organization on Muslim issues. And they're great on just talking about, you know, on the Muslim ban and um, just civil rights issues that affect Muslims. And they have a really strong social media presence. And then the other thing, as we are talking about the one other thing, Sambal Siddiqui re-won her election in 2019 and was elected um, to mayor in Cambridge. So she is the first, one of the first Muslim American women 
elected to mayor. We think there's one other somewhere else, but nobody really tracks these things. Cambridge, Massachusetts, Harvard, MIT. Yeah. Yeah. So she she is amazing. And she actually has a podcast with the vice chair of um, the... Uh, the vice mayor of Cambridge, and it's called Women Are Here. Um, And so it's their take. It's very Cambridge specific, but they talk about national issues. And I, you know, she talks about uh, being a mayor and and growing up in Cambridge and, and growing up actually in subsidized housing in Cambridge as a kid of immigrants. Um, and, and now being the mayor and, and getting to go to the same school that she went to um, as a kid is pretty impressive. Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, I I have one more question for you, actually. This is coming from my producer, Lindsay, who you know. She wants to know, why do I tell such bad jokes? <laughs> uh, I, think, I think they're pretty funny jokes. Uh, I think I think Asad always uh, thinks he's funnier than he is. He was... Born lucky in that he had an audience of our younger sister who laughs at everything he says. But I don't know as the older sister if I necessarily laughed of everything. But can I can I just can I just add a little a little story? You know, running for office is is the hardest thing anyone will ever do because there aren't no guideposts and you really put your life on hold and you um it's exhausting and draining and Um, I always joke that I had no family in my town that did it. Um, You know, my two siblings and my parents did not live in the town. I did not have family in the town. But I was really lucky in that I had this network um, of aunties and uncles who who really had never donated to a campaign, had never held a sign, had never written a postcard. Um, And they all they all jumped up at the opportunity to do it. And I I just share that because even my family, I, I joke that. You know, my dad was a physician, is a physician, um, but he also put all my signs together. And my sister was my treasurer, whether she wanted to be or not. Um, she is still my treasurer. And um, you also, my brother also helped and and donated. And um, I, I joke that my Asad is the reason that I had to do um, get Act Blue. So I also changed the way campaigns were done a little bit in my town because local politics tends to be a little old school and, you know, people still kind of vote for the person they went to high school with or vote for, you know, their family friend. And people kind of have an event at the civic center and they write a check. And um, I remember us, I don't know if you called me or you texted me and he's like, Mary, nobody under 40 has checkbooks. Like you need a way to do online donations. And I was like, Oh, Okay. And so I was the first person, you know, I was kind of one of the first people to kind of use definitely the first person to use Act Blue, which is like a great, you know, tool for campaigning. Um, but it helped me raise $13,000 the first time I ran. And I, you know, created a website because I realized I had people that would support me that were outside of Wakefield. Um, but I always say that I did Act Blue because Asad was like, no one under 40 has checkbooks, Maureen. Um so I completely forgot that. Yeah. 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 I, I'm glad I could help you out. Uh, Maureen, what's next for you? Oh, I'm totally happy doing what I'm doing. I just won um, re-election in 
in so it was supposed to be in April. It got postponed to June because of the pandemic. It's a three year term. So I will do this for another three years, which will be six years, which I joke is the longest commitment of any job that I've ever had because I don't tend to stay at jobs that long. I kind of move on to the next opportunity. But, you know, I keep on, I, I'll keep on doing this as long as it's fun and as long as I feel like I'm making change. And I still feel that way. I will keep on working on issues that I feel passionate about and making government more responsive to helping vulnerable populations, whether they be women or immigrants or Muslims or my trans friends or, you know, undocumented uh, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, and so until we get to equality and justice for all, I'm just going to keep on finding ways to do that work. Maureen, thank you so much for joining American Muslim Project. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. My interview with Maureen was recorded in December 2020. You can find her on Twitter. Her handle is at Counselor MNB. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, along with all the other things that we talked about. And join us next week. We're going to be chatting with the filmmaker, Razi Joffrey, who co-directed Hamtramck USA, a documentary exploring life and democracy in America's first Muslim-majority city. And thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you subscribe, rate, and review, or share it around with your friends. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Today's show was produced and edited by Lindsay Gamble, Marcanato, and me, Asad Butt. Simon Hutchinson did our theme music, and you can find out more at AmericanMuslimProject.com. Yeah.